Well, good morning, church. Merry Christmas Eve, church. We uh, remind you, come back at 5 o'clock tonight. We'll have a Christmas Eve service uh, together right here as we anticipate celebrating our Lord's birth tomorrow. Uh, what I wanted to do this morning, though, is keep those fun little carols rolling. So a little call and response, a little group participation here. You're going to finish the line, all right? So follow me. When I point to you, it's your turn. It's the most wonderful time. We need to get those kids back up here. Oh, hooray for baby Jesus. Don't make me whip out the hooray for baby Jesus. No, you guys are good. All right, next one. Oh, there's the answer. All right. Peace on earth and mercy mild. I think we're ready to go on the road. You guys are good. That was pretty great. We'll see. I don't know if you go to the next round at American Idol, but we'll accept you here. Um, we know the words, but for many of us, this is anything but the most wonderful time of the year, right? And, and, and we, want anything, we want peace on earth, but there is not peace on our earth, right? And there are many things in our lives that are not reconciled, do not seem to be the way that they're supposed to be. And this time of year, there's this kind of portrayal of what Christmas is supposed to be like. And if you've been watching any of the Hallmark movie marathon, uh, you would know what Christmas is supposed to be, right? No matter what differences you have with someone else, miscommunications, misunderstandings, they can be solved in an hour and 43 minutes. And at the end of it, everybody has this big sing-along, you, your new, uh, you know, fiancé or whoever it is, and then the whole town will come behind you, decked with scarves and, and festive cocoa in their hands, and we just kind of sing this song and just kind of magically go into happily ever after mode, right? But for many of us, go, this is not my Christmas, this is not my reality, mine looks a lot more like this, right? <laughs> yeah, I love the baby in the middle, just look at it, no crying he makes. And the dad behind him going, what in the world is going on? And for most of us, we might change the words to, it's the most chaotic time of the year. Am I right? And, and we think, I mean, look, you think of, of Christmas and, and the chaos that it can bring. I mean, you talk about our schedules. We've got 18 Christmas parties, right? We've got to attend them all, bring a gift to every single one of them. We've got seven family gatherings, right? Six geese a lang. We've got kids' Christmas plays to attend. We've got to we do cooking. We've got to do wrapping. And the schedule is as insane as it is, is any point in the year. How about our relationships? We've got that family member that's coming to town. You know exactly who I'm talking about. We've got to share our children with the ex. And it's this, this year, it's their turn to have them on Christmas Day. Maybe for us, there's a painful reminder of a lost loved one. For some of us, this is a very lonely time of year, and, and holidays can kind of bring that to the surface. Or maybe there's discord with somebody who is in your life, and your relationships feel out of control. Or maybe for us, it's our personal life. What's going on inside, and that maybe nobody even knows about it, right? I've been trying to do this paleo thing this year, and now this last couple weeks, I have been running a sugar cookie gauntlet right? Everybody wants to give you some carbs, right? Everybody. And maybe there's temptations, and, and, and maybe there's, there's bitterness that you're harboring toward a friend or a family member. This time of year, as everybody gathers or doesn't gather, it's seen more clearly. Or maybe for you, it's greed. I mean, this is also the most materialistic time of the year, very often, as presents and things and decorations are, are pushed to the forefront, and you'd give anything for a silent night. Give anything to experience comfort 
and joy. And for rest, you married gentlemen. This morning we're going to hear a song. And this time it's not a song that humans sung. It's a song from angels. And it offers a solution to the problem of chaos and brokenness that many of us experience during the most wonderful time of the year. This is week three of a four-part series. We're talking about the four songs that were sung around the time of Jesus' birth in the, chapter, in the uh, first two chapters of Luke. These were songs that were sung 2,000 years ago, but songs that you and I desperately need to know and believe and repeat their sounding joy today. If we're going to find peace and joy today, we must know the things in these songs and believe the things in these songs. The first week we looked at Mary's humility. She sang this song and, and we saw that if we're going to worship God, the only way to come to God is, is humbly. And in her song she said, he resists the proud, but he draws the humble near to him. That's the first step into worship of our God is to come humbly. And then last week we saw Zechariah's song of hope. And if we not come believing the promises of God, he said it's as good as if Jesus has come and redeemed already before it even happened. If we don't have this hope in our God, then we're going to push him away. And we're going to try to find our hope in other things in our lives. And this week, we're going to sing this song that the angels sang, a song of harmony, or a song of peace. That we can't worship God, we can't have a relationship with him if there's something fractured in our relationship with God. And for each of us born into this world, there is. Until we humble ourselves and find hope in him, we cannot find this harmony. Now, the first week, uh, Mary sang a song, we call it the Magnificat in the Latin. Last week, Zechariah, we call it, the, the song was called the Benedictus. Now today's, and you will, will see this from a familiar Christmas hymn, it's called Gloria in excelsis Deo. Now for many of us, we've heard that line, but we have no idea what it means. We don't even know how to pronounce it, right? And you get to that part in the song, and you're like, in Deo, right? Just kind of move on to the, I don't know, I see it. And it is Latin, it's not a, word, a language that really is spoken anymore. It's in excelsis, or in excelsis, depending on how you... You break it down, but the words mean glory to God in the highest. Gloria, the word for glory, in excelsis, is in the highest. That's where we get our word for celestial or sky, something that's high. So it's, it's glory to God, Deo, glory to God who's in the highest, who deserves, and is worthy of all praise. But for some background, we're going to look at, look at the story. It's a familiar Christmas story. If you have your Bibles, doing that again. Open them up or swipe to it, however you need to get there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and I want us to read this familiar story as it lays a backdrop for the angel's song. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Whenever I hear this story, I always think of Linus from the Peanuts Christmas movie. Here's the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each to his hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in, in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no 
place for him in them in the inn. That baby's cry, that was all timed to give you some ambiance. You're welcome. This is a story we know, we've heard a million times if we've grown up in the church. We want to see with fresh eyes this morning. This is God with us, Jesus becoming man, and what he offered when he came. And now we'll, we'll go back to the screen here. Verse 8, it says, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. This is a meanwhile, okay, at the same time, while Jesus is being born, these shepherds are out here watching their sheep in a pasture nearby, outside of Bethlehem. Now, it's under, important to understand these shepherds, okay, these are not our precious moments shepherds, okay? These are shady, shady people in Jewish society. They often saw them as, out, as unclean because of the dirty work that they did. They were social outcasts, kind of pushed to the fringes. Often, they were synonymous with, with murderers or thieves. Oftentimes, these shepherds were not the kind of people that you would be inviting into your living room for celebrations of Christmas. But it's to these shepherds that these angels appear. And in verse 9 it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Again, when angels come, the first response is fear. And these especially, if you ever have somebody come up to you and say, Hey, could I talk to you for a moment? And what do you instantly think? What did I do? And you're kind of running like through the gauntlet of the relationship. And what did I, did I say something? Did I say something about them? Like what are they going to, and so there's an immediate reaction from these shepherds going, what have I done? Like am I busted? What, why does this angel want to talk to us? Not to mention it's an angel. Okay, you're going to be freaked out if an angel, a warrior of light, shows up in the middle of the night to you. But as always, the angels say, fear not. The angel says, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. He says, I'm not here to bust you. I'm here to tell you some good news. In fact, it's a good news of great joy, and not just for you as shepherds, but for every single person on earth. And what's that good news that brings great joy? Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The Messiah, the chosen one, is here, and his name is Jesus, which means he saves the rescuer at long last, has arrived onto earth in the form of a baby boy. And it says, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So what's the, what's the implication there? Go to him. These dirty, shady shepherds want you to go and see the baby Jesus. And then, verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. Now, one angel was sufficed to report the good news. But it required an entire army of angels to respond to the joy that this good news brought. And heaven can't hold it in any longer. These angels who have been waiting and watching this great drama unfold. And now here's the climax. God is coming to earth and this multitude just busts out in this song. Now two weeks ago we had Lindsay, a pregnant mother, read the story of Mary. Last week we had Pastor Chuck read the story of Zechariah. Couldn't find any angels, okay? I went, went through the directory. They're just not in there. So we're the closest thing <laughs> that there is. So let's, let's read this together. Would you read with me verse 14? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, do you think that's how the army of angels said it? Jesus has come to earth, and they're like, hmm, Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Right? 
No, let, let's say it like the angel said it. Let's, let's channel our inner Pentecostal. Let's make Kalifonsky Christian proud of us, all right? Let's sing it. Ready? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. Hallelujah. The good news of great joy. Jesus, the deliverer, is here. And this song says that there are two central purposes to Jesus' coming. The first one is glory, and the second one is peace. Now, look specifically at what this song says. There's glory from man to God. Glory to God in the highest. The first and foremost thing that we need to understand about Jesus being born is that it glorified our God. The second thing is peace on earth. It's peace from God to man. Peace to us, glory to God. And, and, and John Piper, he summed this up so well. So there's hardly a better way to sum up what God was about when he created the world or when he came to reclaim the world in Jesus Christ. His glory, our peace. His greatness, our joy. His beauty, our pleasure. The point of creation and the point of redemption is that God is glorious and means to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled new humanity. We get the peace, God gets the glory. So exactly what is the, the peace that this is talking about? And, and how does peace for us mean glory for God? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because that's exactly what I put into the sermon next. You guys are, we're on track. We're, we're tracking here. The word peace, and oftentimes when we think of peace, we think of simply the absence of conflict. Okay, so there was a war, and people are shooting at each other, and then they stopped shooting each other. And now there's peace. It's just the fact that they're not fighting any longer. Or maybe it's more relational, closer to home, and, and we're fighting with a spouse or a family member, and there's words, right, fisticuffs, and now we've stopped, we've gone to our respective corners, and we're no longer fighting. And we kind of reduce peace to just not fighting, the absence of conflict. But peace, and, and especially the biblical concept of peace, so much richer. It's so much deeper than that. No more than just an absence of conflict or quiet. And one of the really cool things about the Hebrew language is the Hebrew language not only conveyed meaning through its words, but through the letters themselves. These letters were pictures. And these pictures could often tell a story about the meaning of the word itself. So that the word here that we're looking at is peace or shalom in, in, uh, in the Jewish language. Now, if, in the Hebrew language, there it is. If you went to Bethlehem Revisited this last weekend, uh, you were not alone. There's a lot of people there. And if you recognize as you came in there, what was the first thing they said to you? Shalom. And then what was the last thing they said to you? Shalom. Shalom was their way that they said hello and goodbye. It was the leave-taking and the greeting. And this word shalom, and, and you've you got to break down the, the, the letters themselves. And this is so cool. So, so the word, the first letter here, and in the Hebrew language, they read from right to left instead of us, left to right. So the first one here is sheen. Now the word sheen can oftentimes mean destroy. Because what does it look like? It looks like some teeth, right? Some fangs hanging down. Like tomorrow, I'm going to take a break from my paleo-eating ways, and I'm going to destroy Christmas dinner, right? So there's this idea of teeth and might and destroying something. So the first word is destroy. The second one is lamed, which is, it means authority. What does that look like? It's a shepherd's hook. Or for those here under the age of eight, it looks like a candy cane that you've had way too many of this week. And authority, what is this? The shepherd has authority over the sheep, right? Get back here. 
right? You bad. That was so. <laughs> I was sitting there, sitting there. And, uh, the groan, that, that's appropriate. So destroy authority. The next one is vav, which means establish. It can be a nail or a hook. So when you hang something in its place, you've established where it is. It means established. And finally, the word mem, which is kind of like water waves. The, the, the Hebrew people were nomadic. They lived in the desert. And to them, water it was something they didn't understand. And it had the symbol of chaos. Chaos. So you put this together. And the meaning of the word peace in Hebrew is to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. Isn't that amazing? Peace is, is the intent of destroying that which has authority over disorder and chaos in our lives. And so what's happening here is, is order is being brought to chaos. That's what God did in the creation story. He brought order to chaos. And that's what he's doing in our interpersonal lives, in our relationships, in our time, and most importantly, our relationship with him is to bring order to that which is chaotic, to bring wholeness to what is broken. One of the pictures that the Hebrews would have had when they heard this word was a wall, a wall that has been broken, a wall that is in chaotic shambles. And when it was rebuilt, when each brick was put right back in the correct space, that wall experienced shalom, wholeness, restoration to the way it was supposed to be. It's the same thing in a relationship. Like if I, if I sneak over to the Diamond M Ranch and I steal one of Blair's llamas, okay? I don't know what I'm going to do with a llama, but I got one now. And there's discord now. There's, there's chaos and brokenness in our relationship between Blair and I. We've got this, lion, this awkward llama in the room, right, between the two of us. And I've got, I've got Justin, come on. Um, and I come back to him a little bit later, I, and I restore the relationship. I either bring back the llama or I repay him, whatever the going rate of a llama is these days. And now we're back on the same page, and we can be friends again, and we can work together again, we can worship together again. Our relationship, once restored, is experiencing shalom, wholeness to what was broken, re- order to what was chaotic. So peace is not just the absence of conflict. When God looks at our broken world, or he looks inside at the inner chaos and brokenness of my heart, what he wants to bring is restoration, to bring order to my chaos, to bring wholeness to what is broken. And the way that I've summed it up this morning is to say that peace is wholeness in Jesus for a life that's in pieces. And is there anyone here this morning that has aspects of their life, if not, perhaps it feels like all of my life is in pieces. The good news of great joy today is that Jesus has come to bring peace to that which is broken and chaotic. But we understand here, only in Jesus can both of these things happen. Only through the cross can there be glory to God and peace on earth to men. See, God can be glorified. God will be glorified at the end of the day. And even if he was to send every human being to hell for the rest of eternity, God would be glory, glorified as the holy God, as a just God, because we deserve that punishment. So that would still be glory to God, but it would not be peace to us on earth. Eternity from him is not restoration. It is not wholeness. That is, that is chaos. It's brokenness. But God also can't just give us peace and still be glorified as God and just say, oh, it's all cool. You can just kind of come as you are because God is holy. And he can't live in the presence. He can't have a whole relationship with sinful people. And only through Jesus 
Can we receive peace in a way that rightfully glorifies God for the greatness that he is and the beauty that he is? So we're gonna look at three things this morning. We're gonna see peace with God, we're gonna see peace with ourselves, and finally peace with others, and how we can achieve these things only through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So first of all, peace with God. The first thing in our lives, the, the foundational thing that's broken and in pieces in our lives as we are born into this world, this relationship with God. Ephesians 2, it spells this out for us. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you refused to obey God. This is us when we enter into the world. Natural born enemies, disobedient and rebellious toward our God. And verse 3 says, by our very nature, got that from Adam, we were subject to God's anger or his wrath just like everyone else. So because we rebelled, because we pushed him away, because we refused to worship him rightly, the relationship is fractured, it's broken. Sinful man can't have a relationship with holy God. And rightly, we receive his anger and his wrath. So whatever problem you have in your life, at the root of it is rebellion and opposition toward God. And when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, all the chaos and brokenness that came into this world was a result of that fall. So if that's our greatest problem, this discord with God, then then our greatest need is peace with God, right? And every other aspect of our life, any other peace that we want to experience can only come through the lens of a restored relationship with God. You think of a tree. If it's been separated from its roots, its life source, nothing else in that tree's life can be what it's supposed to be. It will not give the proper fruit, have the proper leaves. The relationship between the branches and the twigs cannot be what it's supposed to be if it's disconnected from its root. And that's the same thing in our lives. If we want to have peace with other people, if we want to have peace with ourselves, the first thing that has to happen is peace with God. So how do, we, how do we experience that peace with God? How is that made possible for a sinful man? Paul takes us to Romans chapter 5. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, because God doesn't need to change what we do, how are we made right in his sight, or the, or the big Bible word there is justified? Is it by, how do, how do we finish that sentence? By our church attendance? Oh, missed two last week, got to come to four next week, right? Is it by my, my performance, how good I can be? Is it, is it my heritage, who my, my parents were, what they believed? The only may, way to be right, made right in God's sight, Paul says, is by faith. By trusting something else outside of myself, because I can't make myself right in his sight. And the result of this faith in something else is that we have peace, here's the word, shalom. We have peace with God. How? Well, it all depends on what the object of our faith is. So what is it that we're trusting? If I can't do it through my performance, what is it that I'm trusting? He says, because, here's how we have faith, because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. You see, we deserved God's wrath. We deserved his anger and and separation from him forever. But 2,000 years ago, what we celebrate tomorrow, the little baby came, was born, became a man, died in my place and absorbed the wrath of God toward every sin that anybody in the entire world has ever committed or will commit. God's wrath was satisfied in the person of Jesus. And because of what Christ did, now he looks at me and he no longer sees my sinfulness 
But he sees Jesus' work on my behalf and no longer sees me as an enemy. He welcomes me as a son. I can crawl up into his lap and I can call him daddy and have the kind of relationship. It, what was broken is restored, is whole, is ordered, is no longer chaotic through the work of Jesus. That's what it says nine verses later. For our friendship with God was restored, how? By the death of his son. While we were still his enemies, God took the first step. He initiated through Jesus. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus has made us friends with God. This is what's been won for us, brothers and sisters. And that's why I'm so glad, and it doesn't make sense in our human perspective, but the first people that God wanted to tell this beautiful news to was a bunch of shepherds on the outside of Bethlehem. These are the very kind of people, the shady, the lowly, the outcast, the marginalized, the dirty, the broken, the chaotic, that Jesus came to die for. And this is good news, because if he died for the shepherds, then he came to die for you and me too. No matter how shady, no matter how sinful we are. And that's why God gets the glory, because he did it. It's, it's his credit. We thank him for it, and we receive the blessing of peace. The first one's peace with God. The second one is peace with ourselves. Now, you, know, you look at what the shepherds do. So they receive this message, glory to God, peace on earth. And what do they do next? When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which our, the Lord has told us about. So what's their first instinct? Let's go and see this baby. They hurried. They didn't just go, they ran. And they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Now I'm sure these shepherds did not feel worthy to walk into the presence of a king. On the outside, they were dirty. They stank like sheep. The rest of Israel would have turned them away. And inwardly, they were broken. They were a mess. They were despised. They were sinful. And many of us this morning, and we come in here racked with guilt. We come in here dominated by sin in our lives. Anxiety that can strip us of any kind of peace, that can weigh us down. And all that we're experiencing inside is brokenness and chaos, or else we're masking it with something and denying how we really feel. But only because... <laughs> We can enjoy a new, restored, whole relationship with God. Can we begin to enjoy that inner peace that he offers us? Now, when we talk about this inner peace, I'm not talking about some weird, like, zen thing. You're eating a lot of vegan, green, weird, gross-tasting stuff and doing yoga, just trying to kind of get out the noise and blah, blah, blah. I, mean, I can't even do that. I don't, these hips wouldn't, that would be, you're talking about brokenness, that would and we're not saying inner peace is just, oh, it's all good, man. God, God, God's cool with it. God's cool. No, God was not cool with my sin. In fact, it mattered to him so much that he sent his son to be brutally murdered in my place. That's how much it mattered to him. But because we now have peace through Jesus, we can experience an inner peace. So what does that inner peace look like for me? One of the, one of the, one of the most precious passages on this inner peace is, is Philippians chapter 4, which says, don't worry don't be anxious, your translation might say, about anything. About anything. About anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. 
It says, do not be anxious. Do not be fearful. Do not worry. But instead, pray. Because there are many things in our lives that are attacking our peace. Anxieties, conflict, worry, guilt, shame, chaos. What God wants to do is he wants to guard us against these attacks. So how does he do that? How does he do that? Well, look at what the next verse says. When, when we pray to him, here's the promise. Here's the promise. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. We're going to receive a peace that blows our minds, that we can't even grasp. His peace, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He says what will guard your heart is his peace. Now we have to understand this. When he offers this peace, it doesn't say if you pray to God, he'll make that undesirable thing in your life stop. I've got this problem, God. I don't want it in my life anymore. And he says, okay, I'll remove that for you. That's not what peace is. Peace in the midst of our problems, in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of the chaos that we're experiencing here on earth, he picks our heads up from our circumstances and puts them on Jesus and shows us what he's doing and his promises and why we can trust him. So if you're experiencing inner chaos this morning in the form of guilt and shame, you're trying to bear your cross by yourself, I'm too broken. I'm too sinful for God. He picks your chin up and says, quit looking at your circumstances and look at my son and what he did for you 2,000 years ago. Or maybe there's some worry and some anxiety in your life. A couple weeks ago, got a phone call. My dad was going to have... Um, routine uh, hip replacement. And when they were going in for the routine scans, they, they found a nodule on his lungs. They didn't know what it was. And when you get a call like that, what's your first response? It's anxiety. It's worry. And what's going to happen? Pastor Larry always said, we're all one phone call away from our lives changing forever. living in the unknown. And praise God that after some scans and some results, everything was clear, nothing was cancerous. And in spring break, Dad's going to be able to go forward and get that hip replacement. And for now, everything's fine. But the peace that we're promised here is not if you pray to me, then I'll take away, I, I won't make this result cancerous. I'll make it benign. The, the promise is not your dad won't die. Because here's the spoiler alert. Every single one of us one day is going to taste death unless Jesus comes back first. So the promise is not you're, you're never going to face death. You're never going to face harm. Everything's going to be hunky-dory from here on out if you just pray to me. The promise. The promise that he gives to us. He says, I'm your daddy. And I am sovereign, and I control the whole universe, and there is nothing in your life that is wasted. There is nothing in my control that's chaotic, that I've missed, that's too hard for me to handle. And regardless of the outcome, regardless of how you see it from your circumstance, I love you, I am for you, and I'm working this all for good. And the good news through Jesus Christ is that he has defeated sin and death in our lives. And that death is not the end. No matter how these circumstances work themselves out, Jesus has defeated death. We know how the story ends. 
And we know that for those of us who put our trust in him, we can experience eternal gladness and joy with other believers in the presence of God for eternity. That's the peace that he offers us today. And who gets the glory in that? God does. Because it's his work, not mine. His promises, not mine. His power, not mine. Who gets the peace? We do unmerited favor. Last one. Peace with others. These shepherds, they they see this baby Jesus. They go and they they bow before their king. So after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. They've seen Jesus. They've had a personal encounter with him. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. After this first-hand encounter with the the prince of peace in baby form, what's their knee-jerk response? It's to go tell everyone that they see about him. These people who had been marginalized, these shepherds pushed to the fringe of society, are now rushing into those very people who had rejected them and probably don't receive them very well when they come with that news and say, we have a message of peace to tell the world. Peace with others. This is the one that you and I have the least control over. That's why I love the verse in Romans 12, in chapter, verse 18. Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Or the New Living says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone else. Because a relationship takes two people, right? At least two people to have any form of a relationship. And there are things in that relationship that I can control and things that I cannot. That's why I love every week at Celebrate Recovery. We finish our, large, our, our group time together by this prayer. We say, God, <laughs> this is the one. He's the one that's going to give it to us. Grant me, this is what I need from you, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The things in my life that I have no control over, which is everything. The courage to change the things I can through the power of the Holy Spirit. There are some things I can do, can change. And the wisdom to know the difference. It's the wisdom to know the difference between the things I can change and the things I cannot change. The things that by His grace and His Spirit in me I can control and the things that are outside of my control. And this time of year, for many of us, we walk into these family relationships and they can become extra stressful or extra awkward or, or maybe there's some sort of painful loss or there's a, there's a brokenness, a fracture in the relationship you do have. Some of the pain for us is very old. We've known it for years, maybe even become calloused to it. For some of us, the pain is very new. The, very, the pain is very, very fresh. Some of these things, we know exactly what God would have us to do. We're just not willing to do them. And some of these things, we have no idea where to even start on a pathway to anything resembling peace. So how do I find peace in my relationships with other people? Ephesians 4 tells us what our interaction with others is supposed to look like. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness. This morning, is there bitterness that you're harboring in your heart towards somebody? And what's that going to result in? Rage, anger, harsh words, slander, all types of evil behavior. This is the chaotic, broken world that we live in. He says, this is not how you're to act. Now in Jesus, it's a new, new, new way, a way to peace. This is how you're to interact with people around you. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This is the wholeness Jesus came to bring, not just between us and God, but that we would live in a world 
of peace and justice and love toward one another, forgiveness. And what's the foundation of that? Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. See, if if I live in this constant awareness and amazement that God has forgiven me, that he's restored a relationship with me despite my rebellion toward him, while I was still an enemy toward him, while I was spitting in his face, he did not give me the wrath I deserved, but he gave me his son. And if I live in an understanding of that, then I'm going to start to watch Jesus in me, my heart attitude change toward other people in my life and find kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. So let's say somebody has wronged you and wronged you in a big way or they've wronged you over and over and over again and you forgive them and you're kind to them. You say, but Justin, what if they throw it right back in my face? Right? What, if, what if they don't receive it? What if they keep wronging me? Well, now we're learning what it looks like to be Jesus. When Jesus came down to this earth and he, and he offered kindness and forgiveness to, to the people, what did, what did the people, his own people that he came to, how did they respond? It wasn't a big group hug. They mocked him and they spit on him and they tortured him until they eventually killed him. And while he was on the cross, the very people who had put him up there, he looks down at them and he didn't call angels to smite them. He said, Father, forgive them. If we focus on the wrong being done to us, if we look at our circumstances, that it will make us bitter and angry and resentful. But if we focus on the forgiveness that God has given us through Jesus, we'll find peace on our side of the street. Can't control how they react, but we'll experience peace. And you say, how many times do I come back with this kindness and this forgiveness thing? Well, Jesus said 70 times 7, which is his way of saying, just keep doing it. I'm in control. I am restoring all things. This is what you're to do. Let me worry about the rest of the universe. And when I do this, I forgive those who have wronged me. I experience peace. And God gets the glory because that's Jesus in me. So this Christmas season, man, if, if, if you're feeling a lack of peace in your life, this is your Christmas. And you want wholeness, you want completeness in the, in the face of chaos. It is available. It's available through Jesus. If your world's in shambles, inwardly, relationships with other people, your relationship with God, there's peace available today through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our shalom. Jesus is the one that's bringing order to our chaos, that's bringing wholeness to our our brokenness. And that's why we say that peace is wholeness in Jesus for a life that's in pieces. We can experience this today. And our response, like the shepherds, they return to the fields giving glory to God, a brand new relationship with their God, that we can sing these words, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest for giving me peace. And after a couple of songs, we're going to be, we're going to be taking some communion together this, this morning. And, and what we want to do is remind ourselves, and the band can start coming back up. I'm not going to do the, 
the prayer where everybody's coming up while, while I'm praying. And the first song we're going to sing is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And to admit that we need him to come humbly, like Mary said. That Jesus would come, that we need him, that we can't experience peace on our own. But then when we have hope that he has come, we're going to sing the light of, light of the world, that Jesus has come to bring light into the darkness. And what I'd ask for us in these next couple songs is to begin to prepare our hearts as we take the bread and the cup and to recognize that there is peace available to us, the ones whose lives are in pieces, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's glorify him as we close out our service, the one who has given us peace through the baby that was lying in a manger.